Good morning. Over the next four weeks, we'll be celebrating the Advent season. And every week, as we have just done, we'll be reading in our services uh, from four different scripture readings. A psalm, an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a gospel reading. The readings come from the lectionary uh, found in the Book of Common Prayer. A lectionary is nothing more than a collection of scripture readings used in worship. These, uh, le- this lectionary dates back to the middle of the 1500s, uh, in, to the time of the English Reformation, it is found in the Book of Common Prayer, which is a standard for worship or a staple in worship in the uh, Anglican Episcopalian traditions, Lutheran, Presbyterian, Methodist, as well as many others. And what I find so exciting about this, this uh, Advent season, as we follow the lectionary and as we uh, celebrate Advent, is that our voice is joining with hundreds of thousands of other churches who are reading these same passages every week and the millions of other Christians who uh, at different times, with all the time zones and all the countries, are being shaped by these same passages. What I love about the readings is that they are designed to capture the themes of the Advent season. But before, di- di- before diving into our theme for this morning, I want to spend a little time talking about what the Advent season is all about. The word Advent is from the Latin, and it, come, and it means simply coming. So in the Advent season, we celebrate the coming of God into our midst. But the coming of God into our midst is not about one single coming, the birth of Christ. It is about three comings. The coming of God in the past, the coming of God in the present, and the coming of God in the future. For two and many, the Advent season can be seen as a time to remember or celebrate the birth of a special child. And if we are not careful, the message many of us hear this time of year can turn into something, as Joan Chistier put, points out, a simple, soothing story that makes few, if any, demands on our souls. But Advent is more than just remembering and singing songs about Jesus' birth. It is about orienting our lives around how God has entered into our midst in the past, in creation itself, when he started everything, how he entered into our midst in the incarnation when God became man in the person of Jesus Christ, born born of the Virgin of Mary, how God has entered into our past throughout all the experiences that we have read about in the scriptures and through many of the ways that you have seen God work in the past in your own personal life. The Advent season is about the coming of God into our midst in the present. As we open up the scriptures and as we pray, as we take communion, and as we join as a community and as we leave this place and bear the reality of God into the world around us, And the Advent season, of course, is about the coming of God into our midst, finally and forever, when Jesus returns and he fixes what is so broken with our world. You see, the Advent season is intentionally designed to celebrate time in reverse, to celebrate the future, then the present, and then the past. And so this morning, we start with the future. We look with longing towards the future. And the question that I want for each of you to reflect on this morning is, what are you really longing for? What are you really longing for? Whether you realize it or not, this is a spiritual question, because what you are longing for will determine how you will wait for it in the present, won't it? There are all kinds of longings, and Advent captures them all. 
There's the longing of a six-year-old child on Christmas Eve night. There's the longing of a young couple struggling with infertility. There's the longing of a, uh, a couple who's now empty nesting and finally have enough money to take the trip they, finally dreamed, they always dreamed of. And there's the longing of a 90-year-old man who all of his loved ones have passed on and who longs to pass on himself and be reunited. All of these different longings are different, some with joyful anticipation of a child or an empty nester, and some with the resigned uh, looking towards the future in hope. And some, it's just agony. There are all kinds of longings. The invitation of the Advent season is an invitation to subjugate all of your other longings, your lesser, longing, your lesser longings, to the greatest longing of all, the longing for Jesus Christ to return and to set up his kingdom, where all that is sick with the world will be healed and all that is broken with the world will be finally and forever fixed. What I love about the invitation of Advent is it is a uni- universal invitation to all. No matter, how would you, no matter how you would re-rate your emotional scale as you sit in these gray chairs this morning. Over the Thanksgiving season, uh, my family, we went to Connecticut and we visited. Uh, Sarah has a cousin and it's kind of complicated. Uh, Sarah's dad's brother married Sarah's mom's sister. And so it sounds like incest, but it's not, not at all. And, but it is created for the most unique and special experience, the, this feeling of closeness as we, whenever we gather together, and I always think when we do that we don't do it enough, and, and the reality of it is we really can't, we're spread out, and so when we come together, it's really special, and for those two days, we spent time uh, being together and um, laughing and eating and talking about ministry, and all of, a lot of them are in ministry, and so it's just one nonstop laugh fest and deep talking, and it's just wonderful. And during the whole weekend, we would always rate things. And I, don't, I didn't know they do this, but I love this. But they'd be like, how hungry are we? Determine when we were going to eat lunch, you know, from a scale to one to ten. And I always lied about it. I'm always hungry. So I, but I was being polite, so I always said like a five. You know, I just put myself in the middle. Uh, but I'm at a constant eight, you know. That's why I, I struggle to not gain weight, you know. Uh, and we would rate, like, we played a game one night, and we, we rated how we are enjoying the game. And it was this hilarious game called Chameleon, where it was like you fight with each other to determine who the chameleon is. And I won't explain that to you now, because it's not worth my sermon time. But um, all the guys said 10, and all the girls said 1. So I'm not sure what that game was about. But if you all were to sit around, and you were to think through, and you were to rate your emotional state right now, you would be all the way across the gamut as far as rating. How do you feel this Advent season as things come? You may be like that six-year-old child who things are great and you're longing for the great thing to come. Or you may be like the couple struggling with infertility or the man waiting to die to be reunited with his friends and family. But the Advent season is an invitation of longing. And it's a longing to all, no matter where you are on that scale. And it is what is so beautiful about the scriptures that we had read to us this morning about Advent. They represent a single longing, 
for God to come into the midst of his people, but they represent a vastly different emotional state of each one that is being written. And so this morning, I just want to delve into those scriptures, and I'll put the references on the screen, and I'm not going to reread them. They've already been read, but you can turn there in the Bibles that you have in front of you, uh, if you brought your own, or in the Bible that we provide, the blue copy in front of you, and it'll have the page numbers. And it wouldn't be a bad idea to turn there as I talk about each and every passage briefly, to kind of let your eyes see the pages and the words on the page, and to have an opportunity to see what is shaping us as we engage the scriptures this Advent season. The first passage that we read, the reading from the psalm, is found in Psalm chapter 80, verses 1 through 7, and it's found on page 474. And in this psalm, we see that there is a longing that is expressed, a longing for the coming of God, for the coming of God to enter into the midst of his people. And it is the longing of one who feels abandoned, the longing of one who feels abandoned. We see in this passage that the psalmist is longing for restoration, a restoration of the presence of God. The present experience of the psalmist, however, is a feeling of abandonment. The psalmist questions God, asking how long Will God's anger smolder against the prayers of his people? Which is a hard thing to read, and especially so since it's stated so beautifully in poetry. How long will the anger of God smolder against the prayers of his people? Verse 4. And the psalmist figuratively shares that the people of Israel feel as though they are being fed by bread that has been soaked in tears and that the only water that they have to parch their dry mouths is the tears that are collected in bowls that they drink by the bowlful. Like when you drink the end of your cereal, you know, that last little bit. The psalmist looks around and all he sees in verse 6 is his enemies flourishing and mocking them. And notice in verse 7 how he begs God Notice the language itself. He begs God in verse 2 to wake up and to restore Israel so that they may be saved. Verses 3 and 7. The first reading of this Advent season, the the reading of the psalm, is a reading of a longing of of abandonment. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? And while this psalmist, and this is what's so wonderful about and beautiful about the scriptures, God has never ever abandoned his people, and yet God, in his word, by his spirit, allows these words, these like intimate and raw words, to be uh, recorded and preserved in scriptures that have been read for thousands of years. It is the longing of the abandoned. And while we've never been abandoned by God, we have felt that way often. Have you ever felt abandoned by God? Then the invitation of the Advent season is for you. In the second reading, we read from the Old Testament reading in Isaiah chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. And in this passage, this prophetic passage, we see the longing of the repentant. The longing of the repentant. Repentant is a spiritual or theological word, and it simply means to turn the other way. When we repent of something, we do the opposite of what we've been doing. And so the husband that says to his wife, I'm sorry, 
and continues to do this in the same day, in the same way, the things that his wife is bothered by is not a repentant husband. The repentant are those who see what they've done wrong, who believe and agree with those who they have wronged that it is wrong, and who turn and walk the other way. In Isaiah chapter 64, we see the longing of the repentant. The prophet here is recognizing the unique magnificence of God. The very mountains, he says, tremble before God in verse 1 and 3. And the prophet is acknowledging the sins of himself and of the people of God, and he is owning it fully. All of us have become unclean, and our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We are like a shriveled leaf swept away by the wind of our sins. Verse 6. And yet, for all of the sins of God's people, the prophet still longs for God to come into their midst, Or in the language of the the prophet, verse 1, to rend the heavens and come down. To not be angry beyond measure and to remember our sins no more. Verse 9. Have you ever been overwhelmed with the wrong and the evil choices that you have made? That you have made with your wrong choices and your evil Have you ever felt that your actions make you unlovable and unwanted by others, by God himself? The prophetic reading this morning from Isaiah 64 is a reading where a prophet recorded on behalf of a nation this exact feeling. If you felt overwhelmed with the wrong and evil choices, you have made to the point of feeling unwanted and unlovable, then the invitation of Advent is for you. In the third reading this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, which is found on page 923, we see the longing of the complacent. This passage, although decidedly more upbeat, contains Paul's assurance to the Corinthians that they do not lack any spiritual gift that they need as they eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. We see those, that very language in verse, one, uh, verse 7. That God will keep them strong and blameless until the day that he arrives, verse 8. And yet what is interesting about the letter of 1 Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church of Corinth, is that even though this opening salutation is very positive. The letter as a whole was written to a church that was comfortable, upper class, immature and worldly, and struggling with all kinds of sin. They struggled with disunity and discord within their congregation. They struggled with sexual immorality to the point of incest. They were struggling with suing each other, taking communion unworthily, confusing and arrogant forms and method in their worship music and style in their worship services to the point where people who come could not understand what was being done and said. The Corinthian church as a whole was a wealthy, complacent community that was immature in living out their faith. And yet Paul says that God will be faithful because of Christ to call them into the fellowship with his son, Have you ever realized your 
spiritual immaturity. Usually it happens much later and usually with the help of someone else because it's really hard to see ourselves correctly, especially in the moments of immaturity. But have you ever realized your spiritual immaturity? I do all the time. And have you ever been grateful for the loving faithfulness of God? If you've had this experience, if you've been blown away by the magnificence of God and realized your complacency, sometimes for years, and have looked to God to find only grace, acceptance, and love, then the longing of the complacent, who are no longer, is for you. And the invitation of Advent is for you. In the fourth and final reading, we have a turn from Mark chapter 13, 33 through 37. And we see not the expression of an emotion of longing, but we see a warning, a warning to be watchful. This passage reminds us that none of us know the time when God will return in the person of Jesus Christ a second time to judge this world with the purpose of renewing and restoring all things to the perfection for which they were intended. This passage reminds us all, and especially to those who think that they can figure out the details of the return of Christ, that his return will be both sudden and surprising, and that what matters as we await the second coming of Christ with longing What matters is not that we understand when it will come, but that we are watchful as we await its arrival, that we are alert. Just as the servant whose master goes away for a time and puts the servant in charge of all of his house, Mark 13, 33 through 37, that servant doesn't know the return of the master. And so he would do well to take care of the house, to not sit around watching Netflix and eating cheese puffs all day. That servant would do well to be watchful. And so as we wrap up this morning, as we consider the longing for the return of Christ and the reality of the return of Christ, when he will return and when he will set all things right, fix what is broken, heal what is sick. We look with longing and we look with alert eyes. For Jesus will return. And our lives should ready us for that day. And it should show forth the coming of God in just the smallest and most incomplete ways now until his son, Jesus Christ, comes again to restore and renew all things. And so this morning, as we transition in our worship service to the communion table, we do so with the language of Mark chapter 13, 33 through 37 in our ears and in the memories of our minds as we've looked at that on the page of Scripture. We come forward in just a moment to celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was the culmination of the reason that Christ came in the first place, to die and to rise from the dead, so that all of God's children, all of his creation, 
might be restored and renewed. And as we look with longing to his second coming, when that project, which has already been accomplished and is yet not complete, will be fulfilled, at the communion table we come forward to say, I am watching. And in my experience in this world, no matter where my emotional state is, whether I'm that six-year-old child or whether I'm looking with heartbroken despair, I will look with longing and I will patiently endure, showing forth the reality of God no matter where I am in my personal life and bringing the reality of love and joy and peace to all around me because of the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you and for me. And if you've never seen the beauty of Jesus and realized how he has transformed all of existence, then I would invite you to stay seated and reflect on that as those who have come to that realization come forward to receive and to give thanks for what Christ has done on their behalf. I don't invite you to this because I want to make you feel um, on the bad look, let me know, and I'll make sure that they all feel bad about themselves. But I invite you to stay seated, to use this time to watch the beauty of those who have been transformed by the love of Christ and to reflect on your own life and the beauty of Jesus for yourself. To question and to think, who is Jesus? Who is he? He is not simply just another special baby that was born. He is the incarnate Son of God who left his heavenly dwelling at the right hand of the Father, who emptied himself by taking on humanity, who has come to this earth so that God's presence might come to his people. And until he comes again the second time, we are that presence in this world, reflecting his love, his joy, and his peace until he comes. And you almost can't say it or hear that without smiling a little bit, can you? And so at this time, I'm going to pray for us, and we'll move into communion. Father, I pray that you would empower us to live out the love of Jesus. I pray that you would open our eyes to see the love and the beauty of Jesus. And I pray as we come forward to receive communion, that you would nourish our hearts and transform our souls as we look with longing to the return of Jesus Christ to renew and restore all things. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this